Hear the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Loving God, I pray that the words that I shared here this morning really do bless your people. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Sylvia. You won't have heard of me because I'm not mentioned in the scriptures, but I am one who was blessed and tested by them, especially by the precious letter that you are now exploring Elroy was in a total tiz about how to make this passage relevant to you, as your faith journey is so different from those of us who were Jews first and turned to Christ later in our lives. And she was also convinced that you would be bored and check your phones, whatever that means, when it came to Melchizedek. As a result, she was really relieved when I offered to share my story of how this letter, with this urgent message to hold firmly onto your faith, not only kept me close to the Lord, but also helped thousands of Jewish Christians to do the same, and that in spite of the terrible persecution many of them faced. I would like to share two things, just two of the things, and there are many others, that can cause you to let go your faith and, as a result, miss out on all the blessings that God has for you. The first is fear. Fear that leads to disappointment with God and results in questioning our faith. For those of, who of us who lived outside Palestine, and particularly in Rome, persecution had been growing and getting more and more violent each year. You may not know this, but Emperor Claudius expelled the Jews from Rome in AD 49, and this included Jewish Christians. We were already being watched very carefully because we only acknowledged and worshipped one God, which was forbidden in Rome. You could have as many gods as you liked, but not one God. Why? because it meant that you refused to acknowledge and worship Caesar as a god. Oh dear. And you'll find this laughable. But we were accused of being cannibals because we supposedly ate flesh and drank blood in our worship services. Heavens above. Anyway, they didn't approve of cannibals, so we copped it. Later, Claudius allowed the Jews to return, and some did. But many of us settled in other areas in Italy and in other nations as well. Oh, it's just almost too hard to share this with you. But sadly, in about 65 AD, those who were in Rome, including Peter and Paul in prison at the time, were murdered by Nero as scapegoats to blame for the great fire that destroyed the whole city. The great fire that he ordered and had started, not knowing what the winds were going to do and how much more devastating it was than he had planned. 
Why? Because he would clean up the city and he would rebuild it with marble and statues and gold and he would call it after himself, Neuropolis. Oh, my heaven. He was one of the most violent, vicious, depraved people on the planet, as all the Caesars were after Caesar Augustus, until you get to about Vespasian. How we grieved for them when the news of their terrible, terrible suffering reached our community. I'll leave it to you to research that yourself because I would be in tears if I actually told you some of the things that that butcher did to our people. But of course, when we heard the news, we feared very much for our own safety. So I'm sure you can understand that people started to question their faith under the threat of such suffering. Was it worth it? Where was God in it all? How could he allow such ghastly things to be done to his faithful people? Even as I say this, I'm reminded of the great faith of a lady I heard about on your news just last week. She is a Christian, and I'm putting it in present tense now, but she may already have been executed. But at the time, she was a Christian living in Pakistan who was deliberately, falsely accused of blasphemy, a crime that carries the death sentence. They didn't kill her straight away. They put her in prison in isolation for over six years. Can you imagine living in solitary confinement in one of their prisons for that length of time? And now she faces death. When she was given an opportunity to escape such a fate by becoming a Muslim, she refused. For as she said, I am a Christian and I would never deny my Lord. What a close relationship she must have with Jesus. What courage she has to be willing to die for her faith. I wonder how many of us could be like that. As I was saying before, in my community, our fear caused us to doubt. And many of us started to think, surely we're better off before we heard about Jesus, when we were just Jews. Our Jewish religion spelt out how we should live. The rituals were familiar and satisfying. It had been the faith of our forefathers for centuries. And as you heard in the passage, we had the priestly system with the high priest who interceded for our sins and for his own, especially on the Day of Atonement, when he risked death by going into the Holy of Holies in the temple Oh dear, even I was tempted to go through all this thinking and give up. And sadly, some people did give up their faith in Jesus. Perhaps you're thinking, well, this doesn't apply to me because especially if you're not of Jewish heritage. However, I'm sure that everyone here has at one time or another asked the same questions. We cry out, when life is truly hard, 
when sickness or injury or the death of loved ones breaks our hearts or we see terrible suffering caused by natural disasters or the evil acts of people. We seek answers about and from God, just as David did in Psalm 13, where he cried out to God as he faced death yet again from King Saul, who hunted him down for 20 years. David cried out, how long, O Lord? Would you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, O Lord my God. The writer of our letter understands such cries from the heart, but he would have us be like David and follow our cry of doubt and despair with words of faith and trust in God. For at the end of that psalm, David says, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. The second thing that may cause you to let go your faith is your mind, your intellect. Although, as I hope you can see, as I go through my experience, when you use your mind and intellect properly with respect, seeking the truth, it could also help you to grow in faith. As I said before, as Jews, we valued the role of the high priest because he was the one who interceded for us on the Day of Atonement. And we knew that for a man to become the high priest, he must be called by God, just as Aaron was. No one else could go through the curtain into the Holy of Holies and be in God's presence and live. They would just die in the presence of that energy, that, that energy of life, God who is spirit. And even the high priest risked his life, which is why a rope was tied around his ankle so that if he was killed, his body could be dragged out for burial. So when this letter was read to our community, I was rather shocked when Jesus was called our great high priest. I couldn't remember any other scripture calling him that. And I was puzzled because only men from the tribe of Levi could be called to fill that high priestly role or just to be a priest. And I knew that Jesus was the, from the tribe of Judah. Moses just did not give the tribe of Judah the right to become priests. So in my mind, I was inclined to reject this, thinking, well, he's got it wrong here. And surely God would stay true to the rules in the Jewish scriptures. But as I thought back to the earlier part of the letter, I realised that the writer was constantly moving from the old ways to the new way, a newer and greater way, as God fulfilled his promises to us. For instance, one of the examples was that in the past, God's word was spoken to us through the prophets. But now, it is spoken to us by Jesus, the Son of God, 
So you've got the old and the new, and the new is greater than the old. So I looked for the same movement concerning the appointment of the high priest. And of course I'd missed it the first time, but there it was, right in front of me. The old way, which was linked to the tribe of Levi and involved high priests who were sinful, had been designed to point ahead to Jesus the Christ, or anointed one, who would supersede and fulfill it. And I already knew that it really did need to end. As by the time that Jesus was in the world, the priesthood, including the high priests, had certainly become sinners. They had ceased to care for the people, which was their role. They were consumed by greed for power and wealth. That was the first step to satisfy my thinking. But I still needed to know how his calling could be legitimate and God-given. And the assurance was given to me in the next lines, where it says, So Christ did not take upon himself the glory of becoming a high priest, but God said to him, You are my son. Today I have become your father. And it continued, You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron or Levi, but Melchizedek. I realized that the old way was over. Melchizedek was the mysterious person whom Abraham encountered on his return from battle, a very successful battle against the five kings. And he honored him by giving him a tenth of his goods. Since then, I have heard Melchizedek described as a type of Christ. And in many ways, he reveals the new way that we saw in Christ Jesus. His very name and titles reveal the new way as one of righteousness and peace, not ritual, not repeated ritual, not repeated sacrifices, not repeated day of atonements. Melchizedek was both king and priest, which was not permitted before. And this is what Jesus is, both king and priest. His lack of genealogy shows that ancestry is no longer a basis for being chosen. As I said before, you don't, he didn't have to be a, Levi, a Levite in order to be chosen. And his role as the priest of God Most High would last forever, as there was no beginning or ending of his life. And so this was Melchizedek, and of course it linked directly to Jesus, especially the resurrected Jesus, because his immortality contrasts with the mortality of the priest at the time. And of course, his righteousness contrasts with the priest's sinfulness. It was just one more part of the puzzle that I needed to answer, or to at least unravel a bit. Namely the point in verses 8 and 9, where it implies that until Jesus learned obedience from what he suffered, he was not perfect. That really puzzled me, it grated 
because I thought, well, if he is the son of God, the Christ, he must be perfect. How could he not be perfect? So I said to my mind, think, think, think. You're missing something. And of course it had. It was through Jesus' urgent prayers and tears on our behalf and the suffering he endured even unto death for our sins, not for his own, nothing like the high priest. He, he was sinless. He was righteous. And it was only after he had done that that he had perfected the role of high priest. So that's an important distinction. It's not that he was made perfect, but that he perfected the role of the high priest, which required him to share in the experiences of those he represented. And that meant suffering. As I learned, it takes an eternal high priest to bestow eternal salvation. I know I'm being rather cheeky at this point, but I think our writer was unkind in the way he had a go at us for being slow to understand what he called elementary teaching. If you read just a little bit further from today's reading, he really has a go at us. I'm sure you will agree that everything I have shared with you this morning and just about everything in the letter to the Hebrews is very, very complicated. And you will understand why Elroy was so quick to give the task to me instead of tackling it herself. She's a good escape artist at times. To finish, I would like to leave you with a blessing. May you be so aware of the blessings that are yours because of Jesus, Son of God, King and High Priest, that you will be willing to wrestle with the big questions and by supporting each other, be strong enough to hang on to your faith, to clutch on to that cornerstone, just like that faithful woman in Pakistan who proclaimed that she is a Christian and she will not deny her saviour. Amen. We continue our service with a time.